We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast a special live state of the union we are coming to you post usa versus ghana a demolition of ghana by the u.s so we're going to wrap up that game and wrap up this window uh, so include a little bit about uh the germany game as always, I got my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, with us. Uh, he's co-hosting with me today. If you want to participate, and I hope that you do, uh, just hit that little button. Little blue, uh, blue light will show up. It'll let me know that you do want to say something. Hopefully, when I call you up, you have something interesting and entertaining to say. Hopefully, you do it in an efficient manner. We do not want any filibustering here. Uh, don't bore us. Get to the chorus so we can get as many people in as possible. And uh, yes, we're going to focus on this window, but uh, the floor is open to anything soccer-wise. I guess soccer and life and anything in between that you want to talk about. And uh, this will be in your uh, State of the Union podcast feed, as will another show that we're going to do tomorrow. We're just cranking out the content. How are you doing, my friend? Uh, all good, Dave? I am doing well. Uh, what a performance. What a performance. Us. Yes. Uh, so listen, I think that you would agree with me that there is... A danger. I don't think anybody on this you know, live call um, would disagree that there is a danger of putting too much into this game. It has to be said, and I don't think I'm saying anything <laughs> that anybody that watched the game doesn't agree with. That was not a good opponent. Uh, there were times where I thought, hmm, maybe we should have uh, scheduled St. Kitts and Navis. I don't know. Uh, but that was not a good opponent. That was not an opponent that uh, I think we benefit too much from analyzing the game. Now, that's not Greg Berhalter's fault. That is not the player's fault. It is, you know, the reality that this is the team that they are playing, but the juxtaposition between the U.S. playing against Germany and the U.S. playing against Ghana could could not be any more stark. So, with that said, congratulations, I guess, are in order, Mossy. <laughs> I mean, uh, well done. A complete, devastating type of performance. And I think Greg Berhalter will have an understanding of maturity, as will the players, that this was not uh, that this was not great opposition. I don't think anybody um, hurt themselves by their play. Obviously, Gio Reyna is going to be a big part of the story. 
and rightfully so, getting a couple goals, playing very well. And, you know, with all of the drama and everything that's going on, um, it's nice to see him get a moment. I'm sure that when he smashed that first one in, he felt good. Uh, it must have felt like a certain sense of catharsis or maybe even, dare I say, even some closure and moving on. But an all-around general good feeling coming out of this game. But this U.S. team should not, uh, you know, pull a muscle patting themselves on the back. And I think that we probably garner much more information as to what this team is relative to 2026 or relative to next summer. Um, if we look at the Germany game uh, when all is said and done in this window. Is that fair, Mossy? Although what's interesting about that is in the lead up to this window, people were talking up Ghana as a good opponent. Uh, and, you know, they were nil-nil against Mexico into the second half of that game. So I do think you have to give the U.S. some credit for making this game look easier than it might have been. Uh, to your point, it did seem in the first half like they were playing Grenada or St. Kitts and Nevis. It had that feel. But yeah, I mean, you know, if, if the overarching goal here is for the U.S. to become an elite team that can go toe-to-toe with any nation in the world. And yeah, I agree with you. Germany was the game in this window that was much more of a barometer for that. So you can move the goalpost past Ghana and put it at Germany and say that in that respect, uh, the game that you really wanted to see them perform and get a result in, they failed to do so. All right. Um, anybody stand out to you uh, in terms of uh, their performance? And... Let's let's specifically talk about this game for uh, for a little bit. Um, you know, I mentioned I mentioned Giorena. I did think that that Balogun looked better than he has been, and again, it's relative to the competition. But I, I, much more in terms of him showing and him being that link up and that outlet pass for the U.S. I will say this in 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 the criticism that we had of the U.S. where they kind of got exposed against Germany. This swashbuckling type of, and I guess, recklessness of play that was afforded to them relative to the opponent here in Ghana with a better team that was better suited to absorb some pressure, concede the ball, and then counter with devastating effects through the speed and a ruthlessness of their own on the other side, they could have found ways to really hurt this U.S. team in this moment. And that's not, you know, that's not a that's not a bad thing to say. It's just, it's important to keep in mind that even against a better team that doesn't necessarily want to keep the ball, I think that this U.S. team, had they gone out like this, they could have been exposed. And so, you know, for example, we'll talk about Sugino Dest. And I know Kyle Martino actually in the broadcast did a good job of, of talking about the fact that it's a trade-off and it's a balance. He is at times unstoppable going forward and just an incredible weapon to have. And it's wonderful. It's entertaining and it is effective. We all know his defensive deficiencies. I don't think that he should play on the left. I think he's much better on the right. I think he's much more comfortable on the right. I think he's much more effective on the right. He certainly can play on the left. But each and every time that he did that, had the U.S. been playing a team that had the ability to counter into that space and recognize it, the U.S. could have gotten burned. And I know this is a woulda, shoulda, coulda, possibly, you know, type of, uh, type of uh, thought here. But I, you know, I wrote the uh, this this article about Greg Berhalter has promised this team to be able to compete with the elites in the world, and in this in in this window, there was only one chance to actually test yourself 
against an elite team. And in that moment, this team failed. So anybody else there that uh, that stood out to you? Well, I was going to say Serginho Des, but to your point, this game was tailor-made for him because he had very little to do defensively and could just bomb forward, and he was on his preferred right side. Uh, so I thought he was impressive. Uh, and that combination with him and Oof. Timmy Weah down that right side, absolutely lethal. Balogun moved well. Reyna obviously showed his class, uh, got himself a couple of goals. I thought actually of the front four, Pulisic was probably the least impressive, but it wasn't that he played poorly. He just didn't have to exert himself that much yeah. because they were controlling the game, so he didn't have to go on any of his mazy runs. Um, what was interesting to me is uh, I thought – that if if we did see a Johnny Cardoso start in this window, it would be in a 4-3-3 formation with McKinney and Musa, that he would try the 4-2-3-1 in one of the two games and then go with a 4-3-3 in another. And then when I saw the lineup today, the fact that it was a straight swap, um, Johnny coming in for McKinney, but he kept the 4-2-3-1 formation. So I guess we still haven't seen in that sense, a replacement for Adams in that 4-3-3 alongside McKinney and Musa. But I thought Johnny acquitted himself fairly well today. I think showed some of his improvement that I've been talking about recently at club level. It carried over to this game. Uh, but again, not that much to do defensively because they were in such control. Um, but yeah, so that was that was an interesting decision on Berhalter's part to start Gio in both games in that number 10 in a 4-2-3-1 formation. Well, maybe it's because Greg Berhalter, like us when we asked this question as to who should he start over and I talked to our friend Stu Holden about it, and where where are you going to play Gio Reyna at a certain point if you can't get him on the field starting over Timothy Weah or, or Christian Pulisic then you have to find a way and maybe ultimately it's not his best position but it's the one that actually fits for this national team and and again you might get a warped perception of him watching this game uh, Matt Turner had little to do except for the one shot that he did and he had a wonderful save there and by the way the, the, the distribution to Christian Pulisic in that moment and that first that touch that he had to bring down the ball I thought Christian was actually better well a lot of people were better today but I just thought he was he was more active you know I, I know he had a, a wonderful goal against Germany but the activity that he had, I thought, was really, really beneficial. And again, this this ball into a Balogun who's coming towards whoever's playing the ball, then the one-time layoff to others, and then the ball through. That type of pattern was repeated. And I liked the fact that they got into that pattern, they saw it, they recognized it, and obviously they had the ability and the one-touch ability to make that happen. I'm still not buying Johnny, <laughs> Johnny Gardoso. Um, in terms of this level when it comes, I, I, you know, he doesn't, for me, bring anything that others can't do better. Uh, it's hard to judge Miles and Chris Richards. You know, they didn't do a whole lot. I'm still not sold necessarily that Chris Richards is going to turn into what a lot of us, you know, think he could. But, uh, you know, Lunda was capable on the left-hand side, but there's not a chance that he's even close to, uh, to Robinson when Robinson gets back, went, went get back there. So I don't know how much we learned. Should we take some questions, Mossy? Because I know a lot of people here want to uh, chime in. Okay, yep. let's uh, let's start it off with, uh, how about here we go? We're going to bomb around here. Rob, let's see what Rob has to say. Uh, and uh, as I said, you know, keep it, uh, keep it short and sweet and uh, let us know what's going on. Unmute yourself, uh, Rob, and forever hold your peace here on the State of the Union. There you go. Hey, what's up? How are you guys doing? I'm good. Hey. Where are you calling from, first off? I'm actually at Disney World right now. <laughs> Get out of here. Are you uh, for, for pleasure or uh, pain, uh, I guess? Pain? Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it, technically. Um, so 
yeah, I'm actually a tech entertainment tech here. So okay, uh, cool. yeah. did you, did you were you able I, to watch the game? Were you able to find I was a way to... actually okay, uh, somehow? But uh, anyways, um, so I was just gonna say I don't have a whole lot of time, but um, my <laughs> <laughs> I I think for me, and uh, probably a lot of people might ask this. Um, it's kind of a two parter, but I guess what do you guys think of the result from Germany and Mexico? versus how we played and then also just kind of what you your your guys thoughts on kind of the second half drop off now i know they needed to rotate players but that's just kind of my quick thoughts okay. and you guys go ahead i would just okay. want to hear your professional cool. opinions sounds like you set enough off, off an alarm all right don't get in trouble my friend but thank you yes. for calling no, anyway. good. very cool uh, okay so uh, what was his first question i, f- I forgot it i was mesmerized by the um mexico yes. germany mexico what germany. did you make of the fact that Germany, after beating the U.S., uh, tough time against Mexico. It finished 2-2. Very exciting. That's fine. You know, uh, Mexico didn't get out of the group in the World Cup. So, uh, you know, congratulations on, you know, playing well against Germany. And I'm being a little flippant here, but but I don't it, – it's fun and easy to do these compare and contrasts. Um, I, was, I had it on the other screen, so I was watching both games uh, at the same time. You know, and I like the fact that, that Mexico – you know, showed that they can compete at a high level. So if you're just comparing the U.S.-Mexico game, or so the U.S.-Germany game and the Mexico-Germany game, purely from a score perspective, obviously it's a better look for Mexico. And I think they would feel more positive coming out of it. But I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, think that, you know, that the pendulum now swings back or that, that, that gap or gulf that has existed between the U.S. and Mexico over the last couple of years is suddenly filled because of this uh, because of this one uh, result. But it is good, and I think they can feel much better about themselves relative to playing Germany than the U.S. can feel uh, feel coming out. What was the other question you had uh, about the drop yeah. off in the second half? Do you read anything I, into that? I don't. I mean, you start changing. It's 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 also from a mental perspective, and I, I guess that's important. You know what is interesting? The um, the indirect free kick that Giorena scored on, you don't. I mean, you you train for that every once in a while in training. Uh, it's such a rare type of play to happen. I'm glad, you know, even though this game can be kind of looked at as a throwaway in, in a number of ways, even to have that moment in the bank for this team. I mean, who knows? Maybe next summer, or who knows? A couple summers from now. When it comes to a World Cup or a Copa America, there might be another situation where there's a close-in, indirect type of free kick. And they will have this now in, in, uh, in that bank. As far as the second half goes, I mean, I think once you go up and you go up so big and it is so comfortable for you, I think it's just human nature to let down. Would I have liked to see a, a more ruthless type of approach in the second half and to really put it to a team that was there to be gotten with another three or four goals. Yes. Um, and they could have, I mean, listen, they could have scored another three goals in the first half, but they limited the chances of, of, of Ghana. And so I'm not, I'm not too worried about a second half. What about you? No, yeah, I, I don't read too much into it. Uh, th- those three halftime subs, you, they did flex the depth there because you can take off Balogun, Pulisic, and Rain and bring on three players of caliber of Pepe, Aronson, and McKinney. Not too so shabby, right? It does speak to the strength of the squad. How about yeah, uh, Weston with the back heel? A nice little back heel. I mean, he was uh, he was feeling it. I mean, obviously he had a little little time off there on the uh, on the sideline. Okay, let's uh, let's go out and uh, ask some more people here. How about we add not really a name, but uh, USACFC. 
He says he tweets about football. I'm assuming he means soccer, but, uh, you know, we'll find out. Unmute yourself there and uh, give us a name. There we go. Hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, my, name is, my name is Bobby. Hey, Bobby. Um, calling in from Alabama. Nice. But, uh, nice. And in my opinion, the best 11 for the U.S. men's national team has Gio Reyna at the 10. Okay. Uh, I think it is his best position. Um, but I know that leaves us with a dilemma mm-hmm. in the double pivot. Uh, personally, I think against elite competition, Tyler Adams and Yunus Musa gives us the best balance. And against weaker opponents where they're sitting in low blocks, I would play McKenney and either one of Musa or Adams. But uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, I think that's a dis- decision point Greg has to make, you know, <laughs> depending on the opponent. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, I'm just a big proponent for Gio. It's, Gio and it's a great question. Five. It's an evergreen type of discussion. And Mossy and I have been having it for a while. And I, and I almost, it angers me, I mean, that anybody's hurt, but that Tyler Adams is hurt. It, it continues to kick this can down the road. The best possible can because it's, it, you know, it's a uh, champagne problems, as you would say. But it is a fundamental decision that I think is worth exploring and worth talking about when it comes to, to Tyler Adams. Because what you have just done is you've, you know, you've done it relative to the opposition. Well, I can tell you from any player's perspective, and, and certainly from Weston McKinney, he's going to go, screw that. Either I'm in your 11 or I'm not. Because you have now taken out Weston McKinney, a, a spot-on starter for the last couple of years. And you are putting Gio Arena in there. Now, maybe, maybe like you said, um, that is the best 11. And I think you said for, uh, you know, for a more expansive and much more possession-oriented type of game against an opponent that's going to sit back, it's different. And I, I get that. But I would really be interested. I mean, because when you get to the World Cup, everybody's good. Yes, there are variants, right? But the reality is everybody is good and you have to win every single, well, you want to at least try to win every single game. And so your best 11, yeah, it might be different here or there, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that that would be uh, interesting and a very big call. Masi, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, whichever way he goes, he's going to be leaving a player out of the lineup that we're all going to say, oh, wow, that's a big deal that he's not starting. And in, in this guy's case, it would be Weston McKinney. Um, I do find interesting that Gio Reyna had only played a total of 25 minutes this season entering these two games. It would have been completely justifiable uh, for him not to have started one of these two. But I do think Berhalter wanted to go so far the other way to show that everything's fine. There's no grudge. There's no issues. And so he started him in both. And in his mind, it means everybody can move past this whole situation. Although, as I keep saying, there is going to come a day when everybody's going to be healthy and against a certain opponent where Greg might think the right tactical move is to leave Greg is to, is to leave Gio out. And then that's going to be interesting because that's going to bring all that oh, stuff I'm so back. glad you said that because there is this dynamic going on behind the scenes and the mentality and the strategy of Greg Berhalter and trying to trying to obviously make up reintegrate a player into a difficult situation after all of the drama, but also try to make himself not, not lose power or lose face, uh, lose face in it. And, and, and also because, um, Gio Reyna has played both of these games and has played well in the time that we have seen him in both of these games, just because that has happened, doesn't mean that Greg Berhalter screwed up in the world cup. Doesn't mean that Gio Reyna should have started in the World Cup. 
All right. It was a very different time and a very different situation. And let's be honest, Gio Reyna, from a physical perspective, was in a very, very different place. And I guess, you know, maybe even from an emotional perspective, it was a very, very different, uh, different place. And Gio Reyna has always been about, you know, this generation that is coming to be, and he's not alone, and that we see the, I guess, the, um, the final product relative to 2026. And who knows? The soccer gods work in strange and mysterious ways. Maybe he and this team and Greg Berhalter, as difficult and as painful as last six months, probably more than that, uh, have been, but certainly since uh, the World Cup have been, maybe they needed to, do, to get through that in order to get to the best of both of them uh, going forward. But to go back and say, well, this vindicates Gio Reyna or this vindicates Greg Berhalter, uh, no, that's not that's not the way that works. I'm glad that he's fit. I'm glad that he's playing well. I'm glad that, at least on the outside, they seem to have patched things up, and that uh, when he gets on the field, he's doing what he uh, what he needs to do. I'm glad that we're even in a situation right now where we're thinking about what our previous caller said about what happens when everybody is back and everybody is healthy and where Gio Reyna plays, and that maybe he is even playing his second best position in a 10 type of position, maybe that's the best position for him on this, uh, on this national team. Now he's got to go back to a club situation. That's not, uh, not ideal, but so far in this window, I think he is one of the big winners uh, when it comes to uh, these two games and, and totality, whatever, what happened. Anything Mossy before we go for another call? Well, let me sure. ask you this because I think it, it ties into the column yep. you wrote, which everybody should check out on foxsports.com, and also your opening remarks tonight. You said that the way the U.S. played worked against Ghana. It might not have worked against a better opponent like Germany. Um, and that ties back to our good friend Stephen Mandis, who wrote that book about the U.S. national team. And the thesis of that book was that the U.S. has to pick an identity and just go with it because you can't toggle back and forth between having a way of playing against the weaker teams and a way of playing against the stronger teams. And he, he cited Atletico Madrid as an example that, sure, uh, they probably have the talent against some of the riffraff in Spain to be more proactive than they are. But when Steven Mandis interviewed Diego Simeone, Simeone explained to him, no, because we, I just want to have one identity and go with it at all times. I don't want to be toggling back and forth depending on the opponent because that's difficult. So I don't know. I mean, how do you think that applies here to the U.S. national team? Are you comfortable watching them play in this super wide open attacking way against these opponents, knowing in the back of your mind that that might not work against the elite opposition? I, I am. as long, and, and that's why maybe the Germany game was an important kick in the ass for this team to say, listen, uh, you can uh, you can develop bad habits playing against teams that you are better than. And this has always been, like I said, about finding a way not to beat teams that were better than. We've been doing that for decades. But to find a way to beat the elites and not just beat them on a one-off type of situation, but consistently be in games. And that performance level that we saw against England in the World Cup, finding a way to maintain that so that it carries through to each and every game, including the Netherlands. And by the way, that does not mean that you don't lose. You will lose <laughs> to, uh, to, to teams. But the feeling that you are on their level and, you know, the, the better team won or it was a, a roll of a ball here or a, a deflection, a deflection here in a bigger type of uh, discussion, Mossy, as I've said time and time again, what makes us what I believe the greatest country in the world 
it, it, well, one of the things is this incredible diversity that we, uh, you know, that we, uh, that we celebrate. But what also makes it very, very difficult to have one type of identity. Now, over the years, I do think that the, the way that the U.S. has played, um, where it has been, let's be honest, oftentimes defending, oftentimes conceding possession, oftentimes using counterattacks, oftentimes using set pieces, has worked very, very well. And I think Greg Berhalter came in wanting to change that, wanting to evolve past that. And as I said in the article, I just worry that at times we have thrown at least some of the baby out with the bathwater. And while we can certainly get better, and I think we have gotten better in terms of possession, we can also have some of that historic type of play that has developed. And it has not been easy. Even, you know, back in the 1900s when I was running around, putting together, you know, myself with a Tab Ramos with a Thomas Dooley. I mean, very vast and differing types of upbringings as human beings, as soccer players, and trying to mesh all that in this whole melting pot type of theory. Well, it, it looks good on, on paper, but in practice, it doesn't always work, uh, work out. And so, but when it does, and everybody is on the same page, and what has to happen is there has to be adjustments. And so whether it's a, a Balogun, you know, Balogun, People were still kind of saying, and even Kyle in the pregame show was talking about, hey, you know, he's got to step up. I did think that he was, as I said, much better today. But while the rest of the team has to find a way to put him in the best possible chance to be successful, he also has to adapt to a new team. And it might not, not be the way he thinks about the game. It might, might, might not be the way that he even plays about the game. But that has to happen. And that is not always easy. And that can at times be the downfall uh, of this uh, of this team. But as I said, you know, in the... Uh, in in the article, having an ability to understand when you know what we are playing a team that is better than us, and if we get too cute, if we get too romantic, the elite teams will make us pay. And being a little bit more pragmatic in those instances, I think, will lead us to more success. And I don't think it's a capitulation. You know, I called it almost a betrayal, if you will, of what Greg Berhalter has kind of preached. And a certain part of me has an incredible amount of respect that he's willing to kind of die on that hill and even against better competition say, you know what, we're, st we're not changing for anybody. That's all fine and well. But also what I said is, and I believe it, I don't want to speak for America, but I believe that America at this point when it comes to this U.S. men's national team, they just want it to win. They don't give a crap how ultimately it happens. They just want it to win. And no more so than a couple of years from now, uh, two and a half years from now, when the U.S. is playing here at home in a World Cup. And that's not going to come overnight. That comes from development. That comes from time. But if and when they step on that field, they have to be able to smell. They have to be able to sense, you know what? This isn't one of those moments when we get cute. This isn't one of those moments when we become romantic. This is not the moment to die on that hill, whether you're Greg Berhalter or whether your players are on the field. And I think that develops over time. And I do think that that can develop. And I'm telling you right now, if it doesn't develop, then we're going to get to a point where we're going to be like, hey, we really played well here. And then we came up against the team. And what happened? Well, we tried to be something that we're not. And we got, you know, kicked in the ass. Uh, should we get some more calls here? Okay, yep. let's uh, let's go around here. Okay, there's all sorts of people that want to say something here. Okay, how about 
we go to uh, Steve. Let's go to Steve. We'll add Steve. Uh, da, 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 dee. Yeah, I'll try to get to everybody as, uh, as as many people as we possibly can. Steve, unmute yourself there, and then uh, you'll be able to dazzle us with uh, stuff. There we go. Hey, what's up? Hey, man. Uh, not a whole lot to say. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear both your thoughts on Tim Weah because I thought he was spectacular tonight. Yes, I thought he had an incredible window. I thought that, you know, when it is a run and gun type of situation, and he's not just all about speed. I think he's actually very smart in the way that he has harnessed his speed. And I also think, uh, thanks, Steve, by the way, for uh, for calling. I think he's, I think he's getting better. And that's the, and it's not just him, Mossy. I think all of these players right now, you know, sometimes I have to take a step back and say, am I expecting too much for them? I I don't think we are because of everything that has been given to them, all the pathways, all the resources, all the support. But I also have to remind myself that they are still developing and the players that they are today might be very different than they were a couple years ago. And they might be very different than they are two years from now. And I think, Tim Weah still has a very high ceiling and is only going to get better. And yes, he has that speed, but he's so much more than that speed. Uh, so I thought he had a, a really good window. Is he perfect? No. Is he irreplaceable? No, but he's pretty much put his name in ink over there on that right-hand side, despite comers, including, by the way, Gio Reyna, who, to our conversation earlier, might be moving, you know, might might have his best place actually be in the middle, but that's only relative to someone like Timmy Weah, who has made that position out there on the right hits. What do you think of Tim? Mossy? Talking no, to I'm here, talking to you, buddy. <laughs> the caller's gone, all right? I'm uh, talking to you. Oh, the caller's gone. Well, and I love Tim Weah, although it's worth reminding people, on a recent episode of the State of the Union podcast, Stu Holden, in an effort to get as many of his favorite players into the lineup, <laughs> advocated playing Timmy Weah right back moving Sergio Des to left back. Uh, so Anthony Robinson in the Stu scenario would be the odd man out. And then you'd be able to get uh, Adams, McKinney, Musa, Reina, Pulisic, Balogun, and Weah all into the same lineup. Oh, my God. Uh, and and you, I went down the line. I said, all right, fine. You, and we went, all right, Gio's out there. Okay, fine. So you're, Tim Weah's out there. All right, so Gino Des is out there. You put him over on the left-hand side. He, he would... Stu was trying so hard <laughs> to push back on the notion that the players don't all fit into the same lineup that I was waiting for him to be like, play Geo and goal, you know, just <laughs> Matt Turner. I mean, up. it's it's okay <laughs> to have really good players that are on the bench and coming off of that. I mean, we saw the other day when when Germany put on like world beaters and incredible names and, uh, you know, established types, types of star that they brought stars off, off the bench. And that's, isn't that the, kind of the point though, Mossy, is all of this depth is going to create more competition and is also going to have better stuff coming off the bench. Speaking of coming off the bench, um, you know, Brendan Aronson's star has, has faded of late. Doesn't mean it can't shine bright again, but he's going through a little moment right now. And even when he got on the field, and I think I talked about this on a, on a previous pod where it can't all be about hustle. It can't all be about the physical part of the game, uh, the game with him. And, and he's had a really interesting last couple of years and at times difficult last couple of years. But I do think it's going to aid in his development. But, you know, while I see a much higher, uh, a high ceiling when it comes to Wea, what's Aronson's ceiling? Because I fear that it's not as high as people make it and he might already have been there. And if this is as good as it gets, then that's not a starter and it's a nice to have, but not necessarily a need to have. 
Yeah, he's a depth piece. Uh, guys like Reyna and Pulisic and Wea just have, I think, are greater talents than him, have a higher ceiling. And so at, at times he flirted with being on that level and making us think that he's maybe a guy we have to find a place for in the starting lineup. But I think uh, now we see him more for what he is, which is on this U.S. team with this level of talent the U.S. has now, to me, he's a solid depth Got piece. It. All right, let's uh, let's see what Lon has to say over there. Lon's a uh, lawyer. All right, counselor, unmute yourself and uh, knock us out here. All right, there you go. Hey, what's up? Absolutely. Coming live from Birmingham, Michigan. Oh, uh, two my, old, my old stomping grounds. I love it. <laughs> two things. What did you think about the environment today in Nashville um, instead yep. of Hartford? And then the second thing is, when can we hang the banner for the Super Bowl for the Detroit Lions? <laughs> Uh, yes, I was talking to some Michigan friends uh, at work today, and we're very, very excited. And it's almost as if we, we, you know, we speak in hushed tones so as not to jinx it. I mean, and if we're really greedy, we should be undefeated uh, when it really comes down to it. I'm talking about my, uh, my Lions there. Uh, so, yeah, everything's going well when it comes to the Lions, when it's going to the, the, football, uh, the football side of it. What was your other question? I'm sorry, Lon. I got so mesmerized by the uh, Lions question. It's okay. I was I was wondering what you thought about the environment yeah. today in Nashville. Sucked, um, you know, and and it could be for a number of different reasons. Obviously, price point, uh, weekday, all of those different things. But relative to Rentschler up there in Connecticut, which was hopping, and yeah, there were a lot of German fans. Uh, I, I get it, but it just was. You could feel, and I wasn't there, but you could feel the energy, and you saw it look like much more a much more exciting and vibrant, and like I said, energetic type of uh, situation, and. And look, I think that that U.S. soccer, from a business perspective, really has to examine what what they are doing in terms of selling their national teams. And we know that the two national teams, the women's team and the, and the men's team, those are the major generators uh, of revenue and 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 things that are apart from just ticket sales. But obviously, ticket sales are are part of it. And you know, too often we see situations where. Uh, it's not reflected in terms of this is your national team player playing. Now, when it comes to the U.S. team coming off of the last few years and, you know, first not making the World Cup, but, you know, now coming out of it. And obviously the women's team now at kind of an, an all time low relative to winning two World Cups in a row, you might have to adjust going forward. And look, there are some very smart people at the Federation that work on this and it is their job to figure this out. But where we are two and a half years away from a World Cup, where we are with all of this talent and depth. You know, this isn't a cupcake camp. This isn't a no-name type of collection of players that are playing. These are, these are, this is our team. These are all the players that are playing over in Europe, in the quote-unquote biggest leagues around. And in that moment, you know, Nashville didn't show up. And I'm sure if there's Nashville people, maybe they're even on this call, they will say, yes, but one, two, three, this was, this was the, uh, the situation. But it did not make for an interesting and entertaining and uh, energized type of environment on the screen. I was not in the stadium, but I got a feel that, you know, that's, that's not a good thing to have. You want as many people as possible. And it's that balance of, listen, you don't want to price it so low that it loses value but you do want to have an environment that is conducive to playing and playing well and that is pro US men's national team in the in the stadium and that was you know it was just kind of dull and the juxtaposition with what happened in Connecticut a few days a few days ago makes it that much more i guess concerning and disappointing 
Mossy? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a shame because I love Nashville. It's been a good place over the years for the U.S. national team to play, but tonight they just maybe look. It. Maybe it's an anomaly. Just one of those uh, one of those days, and uh, you know, and like I said, I'm sure the Nashville folks have uh, have their reasons, and there will be other opportunities, Nashville, and whether it's MLS or the national team, this isn't going to sour anybody. I think on Nashville as a soccer market. I was just thinking about how much it how much the U.S. in terms of the landscape has changed from when I was growing up and certainly when I, when I was playing in terms of the way that we think about soccer markets and whether it's Nashville and Austin and Cincinnati and St. Louis and all these, St. Louis maybe is a little different because of the history that they have, but certainly it went through a, a massive dip. And I was, I was thinking about it because, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about this on tomorrow's show, but relative to, you know, some news coming out that potentially the SoFi Stadium isn't going to be part of the World Cup in 2026. And it got me thinking about, well, you know what, you know, there are all sorts of markets out there that back in 1994, when we hosted the men's or back in 1999, when we hosted the women's or even, you know, in the intervening decades, that we wouldn't have looked and thought about soccer. But that has changed so much. And, you know, take take a taking apart you know, the, the crowd tonight in Nashville, Nashville is a soccer city. They are, you know, they are loving it. And they, uh, you know, and, and was it, was it always a soccer city and it just needed something as a catalyst? Maybe that you could argue that in, di- in different places, or was it just a matter of time? And this generation that was fostered and grew up that played soccer, that saw soccer, that played, you know, the FIFA video game, all these different things, and look at soccer as any other other sport. But, you know, for an older guy like me, Mossy, it warms the cockles of my redheaded American heart when I see all of these different markets that back in the day you wouldn't even have paid attention to. And you certainly wouldn't have called them soccer markets. Now are not only soccer markets, but have a culture behind what they do. They have a pride behind if they have an MLS team or a USL team or NWSL team. They have stadiums of their own, all of that kind of stuff that, that goes on. So this isn't me crapping on Nashville or anybody else, but the crowd was disappointing tonight. And uh, hopefully that doesn't uh, happen going forward. Uh, let's take a couple more calls here. How about, uh, let's go, I'm going to go around here. Bum, bum, bum. Here we go. How about Preston? Let's see what Preston has to say. Hey, how's it going guys? Where are you calling from Preston? So I actually am calling from just outside the, Na- the stadium in Nashville, but I am from Salt Lake city from the Ogden area, North of Salt Lake. And did, I did you come in just for the game? We well, so my boys had a chance to either go watch Utah football, use lose to USC uh, next weekend in the Coliseum, or come down to Nashville, and they picked Nashville to watch the U.S. men's national team. Oh, so we came. You're in raising on, them right, my friend. You're raising <laughs> them right. <laughs> we are. So we came in on Saturday. We watched Nashville SC play against the New England Revolution, um, and then we uh, stayed through tonight to watch the U.S. men's national team and. And like you guys are saying, we were a little bit disappointed in, in the turnout from, from the supporters here in Nashville. You know, we've also got tickets for the U.S. women's national team in nine days and in Salt Lake at Rio Tinto. And, uh, well, America First Field now. Sorry, let me correct that. America First Field <laughs> in Salt yeah. Lake. And uh, we're, we're excited to support both the national teams. But we were a little disappointed, but it was also an incredible opportunity for, for my boys and for ourselves to watch incredibly high level football and incredibly high level soccer, uh, here in Nashville. And, 
and I, I just can't help but but describe to people who, who maybe haven't seen the, the men's team in, in action. And, and Alexi, I'm actually the guy who tagged you on Twitter. I, I bought that denim jersey off some guy on, on the concourse before the game because, you know, I was just obsessed with the denim jersey and, and your, <laughs> your, your number and, and your name on the back. So I'm pretty excited. We, we had a great first experience. But Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, the, I mean – Part yeah, of me, ahead. part of me is uh, is incredibly uh, honored. No, not part of me. Uh, most of me is incredibly honored that you would uh, do that on the concourse. So enjoy uh, your your piece of history right there. The other part of me is a little pissed off that the dude sold it. I mean, what, what's uh, what's going on with that? But 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 uh, you know what makes up for it? The fact that you have exposed your kids uh, to the game at a high level. Because when you see it live, when you see it in person, and you see the speed, uh, the size, uh, the touch that is required, it can make an impact, even from a, even from a young age. And there is an ooh and ah type of uh, situation, but when you get down to the X's and O's and the kicking of the ball, I think it really, really helps players to think and understand how important that first touch is, how, how quickly it actually happens. So I'm glad, you had a, uh, have me, I'm glad you had a good time. I'm glad you were there to see a bunch of goals. Uh, it must have been fun. And uh, in, in terms of the... Uh, the uh, the decision making process. I'm glad that it fell on the side of uh, the U.S. men's national team. All right, there we go. Preston Wood, I love it. Hey, Masi, you want to go quickly um, because we find out now uh, what the U.S. is going to play coming up here. So um, I think there's a good chance now. Is it is it is it 100 the U.S. <laughs> versus Trinidad and Tobago right now? Uh, Canada versus Jamaica, Costa Rica versus Panama. That's what John Arnold is reporting, right? Is that where we're at here? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to really okay. look into it. We can talk about this on tomorrow's pod, but that is what's being discussed. So, yeah, that's uh, those would be Nations League quarterfinal ties in the November window. And if the U.S. wins that, they qualify for the Copa America. And by the way, even if they were to lose that, they get a second bite at the apple because the quarterfinal losers then play in playoffs to determine two other teams that would go to the Copa America. So highly unlikely. Well, this is not a challenge to Greg Berhalter and company out there. Um, but what could possibly happen? This is a, a fait accompli, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, so they need to get it done so that the U.S. has the opportunity to play in Copa America, so that the sharpened knives can come back out for Greg Berhalter in a competitive environment, in which case people can say, yes, but, yes, but, uh, yes, but. I don't think that this window will have changed anybody's mind relative to uh, Greg Berhalter and the, you know, the, uh, almost the, the divide that exists on uh, on Greg Berhalter and those that don't think that he should have continued and don't think he is the right man for the job will point obviously to uh, the Germany game and those that uh, are okay or at least feel that the jury is out right now uh, can point to this result when it comes to uh, when it comes to Ghana um, but yeah don't mess this up make sure that you are at the Copa America for the competition and for the drama. Uh, let's take a couple more and then we'll get out of here. All right, Kevin, let's see what Kevin has to say. Kev. Hey, Kev. What's up, man? Kev? No? Yes? No? Yeah, we're here. Hey, what's up? Yeah, we're here. Oh, there we go. Hey, uh, real quick, man, I want to touch base uh, in regards to Saturday. I think any any game that close to New York City on a weekend on a Saturday afternoon is going to be tough to beat the atmosphere with the you know, bar 76 going down and AONYC showing up. So, so is you, is this you defending Nashville or is this you extolling the virtues of, uh, that the, uh, the metropolitan area up there? 
Yeah, I think it's just on a Saturday that close to New York City, that's going to be a tough crowd to yep. beat. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, it was like I said, it was it was cool to see. And, um, you know, it was it, obviously the result wasn't great from a U.S. perspective against uh, Germany, but the atmosphere was good and that they can create something like that. Yeah, that was uh, that was fun to see. All right, my friend, appreciate it. There we go. Masi, I will say the other day um, I was uh, and it got me thinking because uh, of the gentleman who had taken his kids to uh, Nashville to see the game. I was, you know, I had my, uh, my knee replaced not to get all old grumpy old guy, but I had my knee replaced. And every once in a while, I'll go out and do a little bit of running. All I used to do was run long distance and I, I can't do that anymore. I can bike, I mean, like a banshee, but I don't do a whole lot of running, but I was out running the other day and I was running on some grass uh, around a field. And I looked and there was uh, a group of four folks that were just all alone in a wide open soccer field. And I got a little closer and it turns out that it was a, um, a mother and father and their two young boys. And this was on a Sunday evening and the sun was setting and I looked out onto this field and they were just playing 2v2 as a family, just out there running around, having a good time, laughing, screaming. And this was this nuclear family, right? This was this, this family that had soccer as part of their, the fabric of, uh, of their lives and the way that they were right, raising their kids. And this wasn't about, you know, having them do touches or anything like that. This was purely about having fun. And this was purely about the relationship between not only the parents and these two, these two kids, but even the parents themselves. And there was trash. It was, these were young kids, but there was trash talking and everything like that. And I made a point, you know, after I, after I was running around this field a, number, a couple of times, I made a point of going up to them and just telling them how great it made me feel to, uh, as an old soccer guy to be able to see something like this. Because I know sometimes we kick ourselves for what we aren't as a soccer playing nation. And we are very different than any country and culture out there when it comes to soccer. But it has changed and it continues to change out there. And talk about warming the cockles of an old guy's heart here. It was wonderful just to see that moment. And the whole scene, you know, the sun was setting. And so it was this golden hour. And it was almost as if the soccer gods had just opened up this beautiful little window into, and I know, you know, we scream and yell about different things out there, but it made me very, very happy, Mossy. And it made me very, very proud of what this interesting and different soccer nation is that we have both on and off the field. I think that's a good place to end it. What do you think, Mossy? Absolutely. You know, when we covered that host city's announcement for the 2026 World Cup, Johnny Infantino said that day that he thinks the 2026 World Cup will propel soccer to be the most popular sport in the United States, to which Rob Stone made some snarky <laughs> comment. I think football is going to have something <laughs> to say about that, showing Rob's true colors, which side of that debate he really... It's amazing. Uh, wonderful, that Rob Stone. You know, he, he goes back yeah. and forth. He goes back and forth. All right, listen, we're going to uh, come into the uh, studio tomorrow and do a uh, full-fledged and real type of State of the Union. This will be in your, uh, in your feed as a, as a wrap-up, but there's all sorts of stuff going on. We have Decision Day when it comes to Major League, uh, Major League Soccer. We'll talk a little bit more after 24 hours, kind of in the cold, harsh light of day, about the uh, about the window, but this was just the instant type 
of uh, of reaction. Anything before we go, Mossy? Well, uh, I noticed that Sean Sullivan guided us through this uh, spaces, so I guess he survived his bachelor party. We will have weekend. to hear the tales from the uh, the bachelor party going forward. He was always, you know, he, he when we were talking about Nashville earlier, he chimed in a little bit here on the chat to try to at least try to defend uh, Nashville. Didn't it didn't go so well? We'll we'll have tales. We will have tales tomorrow. All right, listen. Thank you for uh, for hanging out with us here on this uh, on this live State of the Union after the uh, the Ghana game. Don't let your heart be troubled. All right, we are heading in the right direction. There will be ups and downs and uh, good days and bad days. There will be good windows and bad windows, and there will be windows that you think are good that are actually bad and think that think that are bad and they're actually actually good. But as I said, you know that that family playing on the field. That's heading us in the right direction. The talent that we have on the field that we saw in this window, that's heading us in the right direction. And hell, if Gio Reyna and Greg Berhalter can make up and move on into the uh, future, then anything can happen. I believe in them. Uh, I believe in everybody out there. And uh, I certainly believe in America as a soccer playing nation. All right, keep reviewing, keep rating, keep downloading, keep doing all the different things you do out there when it comes to the State of the Union. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>